Pod people, this is Historical AF, and let's strap on in because we're going to take a wild ride because we're doing Native American history. I'm Natalie. I'm Keenut. We are a historian and a librarian delivering the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. And this is episode 29, and I hope you're ready for our Native American history because uh, it's a fun one. It's pretty interesting, and there's so many tribes and hard to choose. Yeah, it was so cool. And it is November, so it is also Native American Heritage Month. Yay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I forget about that. I'm so I'm so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was running the teen center, I'd always have this guy come for November and he'd bring a bunch of stuff. And my favorite thing is that he'd bring an atlatl. And I just love saying that word. <laughs> it is my favorite word. And he would help the kids. It's like a stick. It looks like a stick, kind of like a spear, but not as pointy. And then it has this like flat wood mm-hmm. thing and you put it in there and then you throw it and it makes it go really far. And it's really cool. And we had a lot of fun. That was my favorite part. <laughs> addle, 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 addle. <laughs> so I am just really excited. And it was just Columbus Day. And if you follow us on social media, it was a uh, fuck Columbus Day. And we posted a lot of cool stuff about Indigenous Peoples Day. There was a website that showed what indigenous tribe lives where you live now and it's on our facebook page but i definitely recommend checking it out because it has a map of every tribe that's ever lived in the country and then you can look where you live now and see what used to be here and we also want to add that we did do our drawing for our patreon contest for the spooky movie night winner is leanne who is awesome Uh so all of y'all are awesome. Please not think that we are super favoritism. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what word to use, but because all of y'all are awesome. And I saw like when we announced the winner, like Latoya said, congratulations. And I'm pretty sure Frankie did. There's a couple of people that did. So thank y'all. And I'm sorry that we cannot afford to award everybody <laughs> awesome and cool gifts. <laughs> we will do this again because it's fun to make and send for send y'all things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And she was so excited, and it made my heart happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Leanne's one of our brilliant AF Patreon members. So exciting. <laughs> so how was your week, Natalie? Going. Today was a weird day at work because the kids I work with after school, they're from ages 5 to 12. Most of them are around 9 and 10. It's a very diverse group, mm-hmm. but we had some kids talking about how someone wasn't pretty because they weren't light skinned. Oh no. It made me it made me sad. And then one of the girls that is Hispanic, I found out today she's half Hispanic and then also a quarter Korean and then a quarter American. Mm-hmm. She said American, but I'm like, aren't we all like American if you're born here? But I assume she meant white, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she said some of the Mexican, Hispanic people don't accept her because she's only half. I'm like, well, that's sad, too. I'm like, people quit hating. Yeah, I think we live in just a really crazy time. Everything is so divisive, and it really breaks my heart that the kids are... These are things that are happening in conversations I see happening with adults and people we know. And then to mm-hmm. think that the kids are having the same conversations, feeling like they don't belong with a certain group of people because they don't exactly look like this group. And that just, it kills me. Yeah. 
be better people like America as a whole, all of us, we need to be better. Like our kids are suffering. I know. And racism is such a real issue in everything, every part of our lives. And I know it makes people uncomfortable to talk about it and to deal with it. But being uncomfortable means you're learning something. So we need to get to the point where everybody can be uncomfortable, learn, listen, you know, figure out what you need to do to make this better. So really. Get your shit together. Yes. Makes me really sad. I remember kids talking about stuff like that at Layman too. And I just. I made my drink extra strong. It's good. It's kind of like a shot and a half of rum or something. It's, it's pretty good. I hope. So if you see me like. With at all. <laughs> that means I got a solid pocket of rum. <laughs> yeah, I, I started out light. I haven't drank in a while because the surgery and everything. Apparently, drinking slows your recovery or some shit. But I have a little bit. Actually, yay rum. <laughs> yay rum. Kraken. Kraken. Ooh, that's my favorite rum of all time. They just came out with a coffee rum, and I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm also intrigued because the regular rum is so good. I don't like coffee, so I just can't do that. Uh, I think it's supposed to be like Kahlua, maybe. Like a Kahlua type mm. thing. I'm a gin. Kahlua when it's like supposed to be like a butterscotch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, that's not too bad, but when it's actually supposed to be in coffee. <laughs> uh, All right, better note. How's your week been? Oh, it's been good. I've just been... uh. Healing remarkably fast. I'm very excited. It's awesome. I went to my post op and they were like, You're doing really well. So my foot looks great. I'm walking. Fuck those crutches. And then <laughs> I, I hate it. And uh, yeah, I get the stitches out in two weeks and then I'll be fine. I'll get my boot off. But uh, I'm one of those people. I don't know if anybody else is like, I'm a very extroverted person, but I'm like an introverted extrovert. So if I'm out in public just doing normal stuff, I like to be invisible. Like if I'm shopping or going to the movie, I don't want people staring at me. I just want to be invisible. And when you're on crutches, you're not invisible. Everybody's staring at you. Oh, no, you're clicking all the way down the hall. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Click. And then everybody's staring at me. Click. But then again, nobody was helping me open a door. They are just watching me struggle. <laughs> so Oh, yeah, because that shit's priceless. That's when you break out the popcorn. And oh, just... They had popcorn because it was a movie theater. Oh, then hell yeah. <laughs> that's even more incentive. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I've been so boring. So thank you for everybody that has, like, humored me on Twitter and stuff on my account because I've been so bored. There's only so much TV you can watch. That's not true. Okay. You take that back. <laughs> so much TV. I'm, I'm getting hooked on all these Asian shows again. I'm like, no, because I one, I have to read the subtitles, which means I cannot do a damn thing while watching show because I like to do artsy stuff where I go cook while it's playing. I cannot. I have to read the subtitles because I don't know what's happening. And then two, they are terrible but super addictive. Why do I like them? Who knows? And so take that back, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've caught up on a bunch of stuff. I started watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and it showed three seasons like on the tab on Amazon. So I was like, all right. And then I got to the end of season two, and it was like, season three, coming soon. I was like, son of a bitch. I was misled because I thought I'd have three seasons, so now I'm hooked on that. And then I just started Fleabag last night because it won all those Emmys and shit. So, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And I finished. I'm almost done with Letterkenny. But Zeke left, so he said he would murder me if I finished it without him. 
So I will not. I have actually not watched that. I've been seeing the messages that Leanne and you send, but I have not watched it actually. Oh yeah, we also have a new app thing. It's called Flick App, Flick Chat. And uh, if you want to just like chat with us and stuff, mm-hmm. download it and then just put in historical AF pod into the code thingy and then it was like and then you just put it in there and then it has like chat rooms and stuff so you guys can just talk with us and stuff so it's really fun so everybody should download that no i know i think leanne's the only person in it (laughs) high five leanne (laughs) and now a word from our sponsor what makes wink different wink works with top winemakers and growers from around the world directly to make their own wine you discover new wines and learn about the bottles you love wink will send you wine that is personalized to your palate and taste through their palate quiz <laughs> wink's bottles are about 13 dollars bottles would normally retail for 20 so i think that's a good price 13 dollars for instead of paying 20 and more oh yes absolutely that's about that's about my budget so i, I approve <laughs> mine too <laughs> and of course hello convenience wink delivers wine straight to your door Yes, that please. Is so amazing, and I love it. <sighs> you really can't get better than that. <laughs> yeah. So fix your doorbells, y'all. <laughs> and of course, no risk. You choose the type and quality of wine, and no membership fee or cancellation fee, and a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. Right now, Wink is offering our listeners $22 off four bottles of wine plus complimentary shipping when you go to trywink.com slash historical AF. And that's Wink, W-I-N-C. That's basically four bottles of wine for $40. You're not going to get that anywhere else, guys. So go to trywink.com slash historical AF. So again, take something off your to-do list. Go to trywink.com slash historical AF to get $22 off four bottles of wine. Plus, complimentary shipping. Again, one last time. That's trywink.com slash historical AF. Check. Check. Check it off. Bam. (laughs) And we're back. All right. Do we want to jump into the episode? Let's do this. How are you going to get us rolling? What death and murder and sacrifice are you going to start us off with today, Kina? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's dark. It's it's very both full of death. But real quick, I was just going to add a few things. So I read that most indigenous people in the United States use American Indians, while in Canada, they use First Nations. But Native Americans is pretty much across the board between Canada, US and Mexico. So that's what I'm going to use as a term, just so you know. And then the term Indian began with Christopher Columbus, which I'm sure everybody knew. Because he was like, I'm an India. You're an Indian. And they're like, no, fucker. You're not an India. No. But it stuck. So that sucks. <laughs> and then I found that Native Americans that have been living on the American continent have been living there since about 12,000 BCE. So that's a long-ass time. And <laughs> they weren't like a single nation of people, but a rich variety of cultures and peoples and languages. And some historians believe that they may have been living in South America for more than 30,000 years. And then the last little thing I had was when Christopher Columbus got here, there was about 2 to 18 million Native Americans living here. And then by 1900, because of conflict and disease and murder and rape, just all the horrible shit that happened. There was only 250,000 left in the U.S. 
So to put that in perspective, 18 million to 250,000. So starting it off on a downer, (laughs) but I'm going to make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're rolling downhill, y'all. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with spooky first. Okay. So Indian burial grounds. (laughs) Poltergeist. (laughs) Right? So there's this fascination with Indian burial lands that stretches back to at least the 18th century. The revolutionary poet Philip Freneau, Freneau, I don't know, was one of the earliest to talk about these sacred lands with a mix of intrigue and foreboding. I just wanted to use the word foreboding. I can tell because of how you said it. (laughs) Did you write that down and underline it twice? (laughs) I did. I did. Absolutely. 1000%. So, in 1787, he wrote a poem called The Indian Burying Ground. And then he said he saw spirits of the vanquished Indians still hunting, feasting, and playing. And he wrote, Thou stranger, thou shalt come this way. No fraud upon the dead commit. Observe the swelling turf and say, They don't lie, but here they sit. That's some, like, 1700 bullshit that makes no sense. But anyway, it's just like, ooh, there's ghosts. <laughs> there's my summary, my well-educated summary of that poem. All literature people are cringing, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we are a historian and a librarian. We do not claim to be literate. <laughs> I just remembered, y'all. You know, I took so much literature in college, and it would be these poems, and I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck they're saying. And I get to class and they would be interpreting like this fountain represents this like passion and this moment of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't understand. I, n- I never got all this underlying. But yeah, although art history, I was like, oh, yeah, that red color represents murder and passion of whatever, you know, So I'm like, a total yep. hypocrite. Anyway. To this guy, the lands were mystical and sacred. In the 1970s, this idea kind of turned from this mystical and sacred to this evil foundation for a series of horror movies and stories of haunted houses. The popularity stemmed almost entirely from Jay Anson's 1977 massive bestseller, The Amityville Horror. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And then... This is where you... Lightning. (laughs) Cue dramatic music. (laughs) (laughs) So this book spurred a bunch of movies, which I love the Ryan Reynolds version. And I find him incredibly attractive, even though he's getting all like murdery and stuff. So that probably says something about me, but he fine. So anyway, Amityville Horror. On a cold November night, because, you know, it's November. (laughs) In 1974, in Amityville... New York resident, who was 23 years old, Ronald DeFeo Jr., murdered his entire family in cold blood at their 112 Ocean Avenue residence, totaling six victims that included his father, mother, two sisters, and two brothers. Damn. That sounds like determination. A child, I wouldn't have that many people <laughs> to murder. <laughs> yeah. So, this was a very, like, it was a spectacle. It was all over the news, and it was just crazy. But this is just the beginning of this story. It gets worse. Great. So, this family called the Lutzes bought their dream home. So, they thought. And they had known about the six murders, but they were deciding that they couldn't let this Dutch colonial home get away since it was a steal at $80,000. To put it in perspective, it just sold for over $600,000. So, wow. Yeah. Lot, lot, 
really cheap. I would have bought it too. (laughs) They had no idea they'd have to leave the house and everything behind only 28 days later. It sounds like a scary movie. (laughs) (laughs) T. (laughs) Foreshadowing. So... And a lot of this is coming from the Warren website. You know, the Warrens, like, conjuring all those Mm -hmm. good movies. Okay. A lot of the ghosty stuff's coming from them. So, take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) 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 They believe in the supernatural, so they're gonna gonna hammer that in. So, they claim that a Catholic priest arrived while the Lutz family was unpacking to bless the home. As the priest made his way upstairs to the second floor, he entered a bedroom, which had formerly belonged to Mark and John DeFeo. They began sprinkling holy water, at which point an unseen voice told the priest, get out, which he hastily did. (laughs) Here's the kicker. He did not tell the Lutz family about the voice. What the fuck, dude? Like, if you're hearing a voice being like, get the fuck out, and then you just run out the door, they're like, what happened? Nothing, bro. Have a good time. Everything's fine. <laughs> Don't call me. <laughs> so he didn't tell him about the voice, but he did warn them not to go into the upstairs room and do not use it as a bedroom. Although it was pretty ominous, the Lutz family abided by the words of the priest and they turned it into a sewing room. Mm-hmm. Still there, though. <laughs> yeah. And then a ton of spooky shit started to happen as they moved in. The family claimed they felt strange sensations And within days of living there, they felt that the entire family's personality had drastically changed. And then they began arguing a lot. So there was a lot of tension in the air. And then here are just some examples of the spooky shit that occurred. George, who was the dad, began waking up every morning at 3.15 a.m., which just happened to be the exact time that the DeFeo murders happened. What? (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and I think three is also the witching hour, so there's a lot of stories about the, oh, there's a mosquito. Okay. I'm more afraid. I've been bit so much and I have bug spray on. Okay, George was plagued by a constant chill and he spent all of his time feeding the fireplace. George also noticed a change in his grooming habits and his and Kathy's health declined drastically. So it became just kind of like a... The Lutz's daughter began spending a lot of time in her room playing with an imaginary friend. Nope. (sighs) (laughs) Sounds normal, right? Until she described it as a red-eyed pig called Jody. A pig? Pig. And then the pig could also transform and sometimes bigger than the house, according to the kid. And at that point, if a kid said that, it'd be like, of course, that's imaginary. Yeah. But still. Yeah, kind of creepy. She also claimed that this imaginary friend could be seen by everybody if the imaginary friend wanted them to. So that's a little ominous as well. (laughs) This is a little weird. So the Lutz children began sleeping on their stomachs in the exact same pose that the DeFeo children have been found dead. Uh. Do not like that. Nope, nope, nope. The children also began acting strangely, and then they became, or they claimed that they saw a pair of red eyes hovering outside their bedroom every night. This is all like a hard path. <laughs> this is all I need is to talk about ghosts and demons, and then my dogs bark at nothing. That's and then a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm home alone. It's great. 
And then there was also swarms of flies, which is when every time I see a bunch of flies, I'm just like, oh, my God, it's immediately a demon. Not that, you know, there's just a lot of flies, but it freaks my shit out. There was also mysterious foul odors that would emanate from different locations of the house. Black stains began to appear on the toilets and ceramic fixtures. Gross. And Kathy, the wife, was touched by an unseen force. And then a green gelatin-like substance began to appear throughout the house. Very ghostbustery. Very. They've been slimed. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you going to call? Not me, bitch. That's too scary. (laughs) And then there was also spectral voices. George claimed that one night he woke to witness his wife transform into a 90-year-old hag. And then the next night, he saw her levitating above the bed. And that was not the night they left. That would be the night that I would get the fuck out of there. I would have left a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> the red eyes, the yeah, all of this. The first thing that happened, we're like, nope. <laughs> Hard pass. So... Apparently, the Lutz family tried on numerous occasions to contact the Catholic priest that we talked about before, only to find that the phones would disconnect the second they tried to call. <laughs> Great. <laughs> After failing to get the priest to return, the family took matters into their own hands. Armed with a crucifix, they walked throughout the house reciting the Lord's Prayer. A chorus of voices erupted in response, asking them, Will you stop? <laughs> Like, do you mind? Please, do you mind? I'm trying to, like, haunt here. What are you doing? Leave me alone. Excuse you, brood. I was here first, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like <that>. Bitch. <laughs> like, more with, like, an E sound. I love it. <laughs> bitch. Uh, it did not go the way they planned. The final night was reported to be the worst. <sighs> there was bangings. There was things closing, screaming, and... They said the sounds were as loud as a marching band that were just vibrating throughout the entire house. They said furniture was moving by itself and the children were terrorized. I think the children were terrorized back when they saw those red eyes outside their bedroom. I think it would have been funny if the music was like Daft Punk. (laughs) Yes. Some EDM shit. Yes. God. That's what I'm going to forever imagine now. That's just what I'm picturing, like, like <laughs> techno or Daft Punk or something. <laughs> so, apparently through all this time, George and Kathleen Lutz were trying to figure out if their house was haunted or if anything else had happened there. I mean, six people were murdered, so you think that'd be enough. But apparently the <laughs> Amityville Hor- Horror Historical Society revealed to them that the site of their home had once been used by the Shinnecock indians as an enclosure for the sick mad and dying this is where it relates to the native americans all right according to this dude these unfortunates were pinned up until they died of exposure exposure to what oh cold oh yeah this is like upstate like new york i think yeah very cold on the east coast up there the author of this book claimed that these Native Americans didn't actually use this tract of land as a burial mound because they actually believed that it was infested with demons. So that was his claim. Like, nobody's buried here. It's not an Indian burial ground because there's too many demons here and they wouldn't have fucked with that. Like, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> so paranormal researcher Hans Holzer, such a good name, and a psychic named Ethel Johnson Myers 
It's a good old name. Anyway, they investigated the house and Ethel decided or said that she channeled the spirit of a Indian chief who told her the house stood on an ancient Indian burial ground. So we're back to the burial ground. After 28 days in the DeFeo home, the family claimed that they couldn't take it anymore. They grabbed only a few belongings and they fled the house, taking shelter at Kathy's mom in nearby Babylon. So 20 days after they left in the middle of the night, never came back. Ed and Lorraine Warren, woo, the heroes from like The Conjuring and Haunting in Connecticut and Annabelle and all that shit. Anyway, so they were called in by Marvin Scott, who was a news reporter for the Channel 5 in New York, who covered the Amityville story and worked on the prior investigation with the warrants. A team of reporters, investigators, and parapsychologists were assembled by Ed Warren, and they met at the home, which was at 112 Ocean Avenue. And the Lutz family refused to re-enter the home during the investigation. And I can't say I don't blame them. Because fuck that place. I can't help but think Ocean's 12. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Sorry. So (laughs) I also said that, uh, you know, they're the ones from The Conjuring. But according to their website, it says, and I quote, For over 50 years now, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been considered America's preeminent experts on the subject of spirits and demonology. Although, sadly, both of them have passed away now. I think Lorraine passed away this year. It's really sad. Yeah, but they have a museum in their home, and that's where the real Annabelle doll is. Nope. And it's it's like a Raggedy Ann shit. It's not that creepy shit from the movie. I'm just disappointed. Raggedy Ann's creepy enough. Why'd they have to change it? Yeah. I'm just not a fan of dolls. Like, Chucky's probably, like, the scariest movie to me, because... Anything with, like, scary children or toys, I'm just like, oh, no, this is a hard pass. So that is one museum I will probably not (laughs) go to. Okay, y'all. I know a lot of podcasts talk about dolls, and I don't think I ever will because I'm terrified of them. But our friends at Cheers from the Grave, I don't know if you know this, Natalie, they did Robert the Doll. And right after she recorded that, she was in three car accidents. Three, all in a row. And apparently there's people that say that when they talk bad about them or they talk about them or they don't talk nice to them, they're in accidents or something happens to them or like he haunts them. So I'm just going to say fuck that shit right now. No. Yeah, no, thank you. Well, she was sick, I think, when she recorded. So she's like, I think I did a bad job and I think he's punishing me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, huh. So yeah, definitely go listen to that episode if you want to be awesome. haunted. But anyway. During the investigation, Ed was physically pushed to the floor while using some religious provocation in the basement. Lorraine was also overwhelmed by the sense of a demonic presence and was plagued by her psychic impressions of the DeFeo families. And she saw the bodies laying on the floor covered in white sheets and had a sense of physically being pushed back. So I don't think I said it. She's a psychic. So she was seeing them as they were dying. The research team also captured an image that appeared to be a little boy peering from the second floor. And I will put that on our website and Facebook and all that good stuff when this comes out because it is really creepy as shit. (laughs) The land was also found to be used by John Ketchum. John Ketchum was a practicing black magician (laughs) magician, and had a cottage (laughs) on the land prior to the construction of this colonial in 1928. John requested that his remains be buried on that property, and they remain there still today. So the Warrens were like, well, maybe he's here fucking shit up. 
The Warrens believe that the suffering there had left the property with a very negative energy and a dark history. And this negative history was it was a magnet for demonic spirits and the preternatural. I don't know what that word means. It's not par- <laughs> preternatural. I don't know. I should have looked that up. Anyway, the Warrens believe that these energies directly impacted the lives of both the DeFeos and the Lutzes. The Warrens retrieved a handful of the Lutzes' early position of possessions and a deed for the property for them. And then they were able to sell. So they wouldn't even go in there to get their shit. They were like, you go in there and get my shit. So the Lutzes sold the rest of their belongings. So again, they didn't even get everything. They were just like, somebody go in there and sell it. And then they relocated to California. The home was purchased by 80000 in 1975, like I said, by the Lutz family. And then in 2010, it sold for $950,000. And then it was put on the market again in 2016 for 850000 but then it sold for 605000 So thanks, Realtor.com. <laughs> also, the ghost story helped the price of the property go up. Probably. Yeah, so legendary. Been all these movies and everything. So, But according to all the people that have lived there since, they have had no other reports of activity. This leads me to my next part. So a lot of this stuff of the lots of stories have actually been refuted <laughs> and it doesn't stop people that are true believers that believe that this house is haunted as fuck and that it's on a native american burial ground but none of this is actually held up to any kind of scrutiny so the native americans the shinnecock that they talked about they actually lived some 50 miles from amityville and according to writer rick osuna that spent years unearthing facts about amityville They said that the nearest human remains of this tribe were found over a mile from the house. So according to like historians, there wouldn't have been a burial ground there because they weren't living there. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of historians also said that this tribe or any other Native American people would have never treated their sick and dying in such a callous and brutal fashion. So the leaving them there to die of exposure, no Native American tribe would have ever done that. So... Another hole in the story. And then this whole Amityville horror narrative that they called it, people started saying it was an elaborate hoax. In 1978, the Lutzes sued two clairvoyants and several writers working on alternative histories of the house, alleging invasion of privacy. Um, For the most part, the kids and stuff were like, leave me the fuck alone. I don't want to have anything to do with this. So they started suing people that were trying to write their life stories. (laughs) And then when it went to trial, William Weber... Uh, Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney testified that the entire story had been concocted by him and the Lutzes so that he had provided the couple with details of the murders to help with the story and that they were making money off the book and stuff. So according to this guy, it was all made up. And then this same, the person that wrote the book in 1979, somebody asked him like, you know, a lot of your stuff doesn't hold up. There's a lot of holes in the story. And this was his quote. It says, yeah, I know physical research people say I've made some mistakes. They say on such day and such day, when I said it, it rained and it didn't. So what? I'm a perfectly normal human being and sometimes I make mistakes. So that made no fucking sense. (laughs) He's very defensive being like, I didn't, I don't know. Everybody doesn't. No, if you're writing a book claiming something that happens that didn't happen, that's not like, oh, it rained. Oh, it's a bit exaggerated. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, the whole point of this is that this whole story, like, sensationalized Native burial rites. 
And then it kind of created this idea of haunted Indian burial grounds. And then it kind of spread throughout American culture. So Indian burial grounds kind of made more appearances in movies and TV shows and stuff like Poltergeist, The Shining, even South Park and Parks and Recreation had episodes about Indian <laughs> burial grounds and then Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. So this house kind of sparked a new thing in our culture. Kind of like what we talked about last week with clowns. The serial killer came around and then it created the evil clown. So this is the house that created the evil Indian burial ground. <laughs> yeah. And that's my story. It's a good story. I like it. It's classic. It's so great because it's like, this is so haunted. And then it's like, it's all fake. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, don't. Don't pay any attention to it. <laughs> I've noticed a trend. Most of my stories are like busting bubbles about things that we thought were true. Yeah, it's a little... little. <laughs> and you start adding sound effects. <laughs> Pop. Yeah, I, I love this story and I love that movie. It really creeps me out. But yeah, it's not holding up to historical scrutiny. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, today I'm talking about general history. Uh, Native American, and I have one of my wacky, crazy lists. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, I found this really cool article, and it's 94. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know why they stopped at 94. Like, why is that the magic number? But 94 is interesting Native American facts, and I will not read all 94, so <laughs> don't worry. But I will, we will include the source on our webpage like we do, and... You can read all 94 if you'd like. <laughs> I read most of them, and they're actually pretty interesting. Like, I didn't know how involved the Native Americans were in World War One, And the fact that they were not considered full citizens until after all of their participation in World War One. Oh, my God. That's horrible. I know. I'm like, hello? They were here first. Like, they should- were. Don't they have, like, dibs? <laughs> yeah. So I've numbered, um, this is just going to be a sporadic. So number four, the Sequoia tree is named in honor of the Cherokee leader, Sequoia, who helped his people develop an alphabet. Oh, cool. These are just going to be lots of awesome fun facts. That's on my bucket list to see one of those trees. A Sequoia? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Really pretty. Number seven, the word avocado is Nahutal. And you're going to have to forgive me on on <laughs> a central Mexican slash Aztec Indian language for testicle. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. <laughs> I figured you would because I enjoyed it. And now when I think of avocados, like they do kind of look like testicles. Like, they do. God. All right, guys. Everybody, instead of asking for avocados, you know what to do. Gross. <laughs> All right, number nine. Many Native American words have entered the English language, such as chili, chocolate, coyote, guacamole, avocado, <laughs> <laughs> peyote, shack, tamale, tomato, bayou, poncho, and potato. And there's some other words in there too, so read the article because it's actually pretty cool. But potato? Oh, cool. Like Native American. Fun fact. All right, let me skip on ahead to 22. 
Some of the Plains tribes built scaffolding or used trees to hold a dead body above ground to protect it from wild animals while it decayed. The Huron people placed the dead body in a coffin and kept it above the ground on poles for up to 12 years before the bones were buried. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It makes me think of all the burial stuff we talked about, like people dancing with them every seven years and whatnot. So you basically get to watch Sleeping Beauty or Snow White. Snow White, probably, because of the coffin. And just watch her bot for years. (laughs) And then you have a nice little ceremony and burial. 23, Native Americans would use porcupine hairs to make hairbrushes. Sometimes a stick was cut into the right shape and frayed along the edges to be a toothbrush. Can you imagine, like, cutting up a stick to be used as a toothbrush? Oh, man. This sounds painful. (laughs) I guess porcupine would be, like, a very firm bristle, so... Well, that was used for your hair, and then you cut up a stick to use for your mouth, a toothbrush. Oh. Well, at least they're brushing their teeth. Nasty-ass European people weren't doing shit. That was my kind of thought. You know what? It's the thought that counts. Yeah. I I just love that they come up here and be like, oh, they're savages, because they take baths and brush their teeth. (laughs) I'm just like, what kind of freaking alternate reality shit is that? And then, Parker, you look like a meth head. Like... Where's your teeth? (laughs) (laughs) All right, number 24, the Iroquois called maize, beans, and squash the three sisters. They were so important as sources of food that they were thought as female spirits. Oh, that's cool. I have heard of that because all three, if you grow them together, nourish each other. So it makes it easier to grow. It's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So when I hear squash, I always think about this picture book, and it's called The Ugly Pumpkin. (laughs) Spoiler. At the end, he realizes he's not a pumpkin. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a squash. And he's talking about how no one accepts him, and then he finds this little group of different kinds of squash, and he's like, I'm not an ugly pumpkin. I'm actually perfectly fine. How sweet. (laughs) I read it at Thanksgiving every year. It's so cute. Anyways, number 28. A pregnant Iroquois woman would stop eating turtles so that her baby would not grow up clumsy on land like a turtle. (laughs) (laughs) In Navajo communities, pregnant women would untie their braided hair and free animals like horses in hopes of creating free passage and safe birth for the family. That's so sweet. I love that. You don't have medicines. You need to do the best you can. Yeah. Turtles and don't braid your hair. Yeah. I've never thought of a turtle as clumsy. Yeah, they don't. They're slow. (laughs) I guess in their minds. Well, in the turtle, you see them, you know, like super graceful pretty much compared to how they are. I guess unless they flop on their backs, then they're kind of awkward. I don't know. Food for thought. (laughs) If you're pregnant. All right. Number 30. The Iroquois celebrated a winter festival similar to trick-or-treating. I know we just had Halloween, but we're still on the kick. A small group of teenagers were led singing and dancing around the village by an older woman. They stopped outside people's houses and waited for presents to be brought out for them. Oh, cool. That sounds nice. Number 35. 
Sand paintings are grains of colored sand that are painstakingly positioned to form a complicated design of geometric shapes and symbols. The most famous paintings are the sand paintings of the southwestern Native Americans, such as the Navajo. They view the paintings as spiritual, living beings to be treated with respect. That is so cool. Don't they do that in Asian cultures as well? Yes, the monks do it too. I think I really like I like I like both aspects of it here. It's very I mean they're both very spiritual. And I know with the Native Americans it's very like they said like high respect for it. And then the monks, I know they it's more of like the fact that nothing lasts. So they will mm-hmm. spend weeks or however long it takes to make this very intricate sand work of art and then as soon as they're done they they wipe it away yeah i don't know how i'd feel about that (laughs) yeah to represent that nothing lasts forever and change is constant and i'm like that is beautiful and awful all at the same time yeah they got patience of steel i can't imagine i would not make a good monk for a lot of reasons Mm mm-hmm Also, the being silent part would not bode well for me. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually, I probably can be silent. I always said if I picked a religion, I would would probably do the Buddhist monk stuff. I Mm -hmm. really like that. I really like respecting them and whatnot. Yeah, it's very peaceful. Yes. Number 36, warriors of most plains tribes thought that being able to touch an enemy during a raid without being touched in return was a great honor. This was known as a coup and was regarded more highly than actually injuring the enemy or even stealing his horse. Oh, that's interesting. In the TV show, in the book series Longmire, there is a Native American who's really pissed off at, I can't remember which character in the story, but he's really mad. And so his goal is to basically kind of touched them and so he like sabotaged the truck sabotaged things in their house or whatever to say i got this close that i could have killed you oh and like he's like i've done it three times and i'm like the greatest warrior it's really interesting oh that's cool all right i'm gonna skip on ahead to 81 so we're in the 30s where i'm skipping pretty far (laughs) i read most of these they're very interesting so it's kind of a hard choice to narrow it down mm-hmm. some of it's really sad some of it's statistical with numbers and percentages I'm like I don't need numbers and percentages <laughs> we're going to move to more fun stuff which is like meanings of words so number 81 Dakota is the tribal name of the story meaning allies oh yep Illinois is the French spelling of the term Illiniwok which means superior men or warriors in Illinois and Peoria, Peoria languages and is the name of the confederacy of the Algonquin tribes. Oh, cool. So Illinois is French. It's the French spelling, but it's also from their language. 83, Iowa is the name of a Native American tribe, meaning sleepy ones. I feel <laughs> there (laughs) uh hard relate (laughs) 84 massachusetts is the name of an allegoric tribe meaning at or about the great hill oh cool 87 
Mississippi is from, again, the Algonquin. I don't know how to pronounce that word. I'm just butchering it over and over. <laughs> have fun with that. The word, part of the word Missy means great and Sippy means water. So that is actually how, how we have Mississippi. Oh, that's cool. Missy, Sippy. So Mississippi. Minnesota is a Dakota word meaning witish or sky tinted water. That kind of makes sense. Hmm. And Missouri is from the name of a Native American tribe meaning Great Muddy, which refers to the Missouri River. <laughs> oh, that checks out. <laughs> I've been to the <laughs> Missouri River. <laughs> Ohio is an Iroquois word meaning beautiful river. Makes sense too. Mm-hmm. And the last one I'm going to read is 91. So not all the way to the 94, in case so not spoiled very end for you, but 91 in Texas is the name of a group of Native American tribes, meaning friends or allies. Aw, nice. I thought since it was Texas, like, oh, I should give that shout out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a lot of states are actually named from the Native Americans. They are. That's really cool. Or at least our rivers and then a lot of our towns. Mm-hmm. Like in Arkansas, we have Lone Oak, but I'm pretty sure if you're actually Native American, it's Lenoki. But we, yeah, yes, so we call it Lone Oak. That's <laughs> true. I know Arkansas is Quapaw for like downstream people or something. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And we have the Washita Mountains or Owachita. Mm-hmm. Again, we redneck and call it Washita. Yeah, it's really cool when I moved here because I know Arkansas had three main Native American tribes and then I got to Texas and there's like, there's so many different tribes. I was like, whoa, but it's really big here. So that makes sense. But yeah, I just imagine being a kid in school trying to memorize those. We had it easy, which is three. Cato, Quapa, and Osage. Oh, I remember it. <laughs> the reason why I could guess Osage is because there's the Osage <laughs> Casino. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I worked at the museum when I was in grad school, there's a Native American exhibit, and I think the Quapaw elders came one day. Oh, that would be really cool. I was like, oh, I want to see them. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't get to meet them or anything, but I was like spying on them. Like, where are they at? (laughs) I want to go see them. (laughs) It's really cool. Which, fun fact, if you were in Arkansas, go to the Historic Arkansas Museum. They have one of, I think it's the only exhibits on loan from the smithsonian's native american oh. collection so it's really cool so every i'm mean, not everything is there a lot of the things have been given by the quapi people themselves and some other tribes but a lot of the big stuff in there is from the smithsonian so oh. i found that really cool that's really neat and if this is a big plug for ham but especially like second fridays oh, uh two fan they do uh music and beer and wine and then you can go into all the exhibits and stuff it's really cool our library is part of that, too. We also open our buildings a little bit longer as well, so you can check out all the artwork. Highly recommend. It's true. I'm telling you guys, you need to figure out, like, what kind of... Every big town does this, so I know they do it in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and I'm going to check it out soon, but it's all the big museums and libraries get together, and it's free booze and culture. I mean, what else could you want? <laughs> I, I made a new friend, Ilya. She's she's so pretty, but she she brings her little one to my story times, and she said her and her husband went to the second Friday night. She said there were lots of drunks. 
And she's from New York originally, so she's like, I didn't realize people drank so early. And I'm like, I think it's because of the free booze. Oh, (laughs) So my story for random is kind of, it's going to touch on something that you talked about in that list. Oh, cool. I like it when we link and we don't know it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I had random AF and Natalie gave me bones. So I'm going to kind of throw it back to our theme of funeral customs. But this is very generalized. Every Native American tribe is unique in its death practices. Practices? How did I? Why did I say it weird? Practices. But there's some common beliefs about death and burial practices. Why can't I say that? Processes. There's a lot of S's. Held by. (laughs) There is. (laughs) That are held by many tribes. Native Americans do not, like, organize through time through structured calendars. Like, you know. We think is obvious, but they didn't do that. So their bereavement practices were often centered around natural elements and the seasons, which I thought was kind of cool. I guess when you're used to using a calendar, you don't think about a time when people didn't use calendars. Uh, Traditional Indian burials take significantly more time than a typical funeral we have now. The families didn't like to rush the process because, you know, it was really important to make sure the spirit was taken care of properly. And it could take up to several days to complete. Autopsies were typically frowned upon because Native Americans tend to discourage any contact with the deceased body, which is kind of similar to some of the other things we talked about during the funeral customs. Many believe that the spirit leaves the body through rituals and ceremonies where family and tribe members must help it find its way. But again, burial customs varied widely from tribe to tribe. Indians disposed of their dead in a variety of ways. For example, (laughs) Arctic tribes, for example, simply leave their dead on frozen ground and allow wild animals to devour it. That's thoughtful. Sorry, sip. I was taking a sip. But it is thoughtful. I don't want no coyotes eating me. Well, I think also I know that a lot of animals were revered in a lot of cultures. So maybe they feel like it's an honor to feed these animals. Maybe. No, that's true. That's what I'm thinking. It's giving back to the earth. That's true. It's a very, like, cool spiritual, and they really dig the whole earth connection. So that's where I'm thinking that comes from. And the ancient mound-building Hopewell societies of the upper Midwest, by contrast, placed the dead lavishly in furnished tombs. So that kind of throws it back to, like, Egypt and some other places where the tombs have everything you would need for the afterlife. It's really interesting to me, like the extremes, how different. Yes. Southeastern tribes practice secondary bone burials. Uh, They would dig up the corpses, clean the bones, and then rebury them. That sounds like counter. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like the turning of the bones that we talked about, but they don't dance with them and stuff. I guess they just clean them and put them back. And uh, the Northeast Iroquois, before they formed the Five Nations Confederation in the 17th century, saved skeletons of the deceased for a final mass burial that included furs and ornaments for the dead spirit's use in the afterlife. That's nice, too. Northeast coastal tribes put their dead in mortuary cabins or canoes fastened to poles. Further south, California tribes practiced cremation, which I thought was cool because I did not know that some cremated in western mountain area tribes, they often deposited their dead in caves or fissures in the rocks. The nomadic tribes in the Great Plains region either buried their dead if the ground was soft or they'd put them in tree platforms or scaffolds. 
Central and South Atlantic tribes embalmed and mummified their dead, but during outbreaks of smallpox or other diseases leading to sudden deaths of many tribe members, survivors hurriedly cast the corpses into mass graves and threw them into the river. Or threw them into the river. Which I can imagine if you understand the concept of disease that you would be like, <laughs> we got to get rid of them. That's true. Which is also blows my mind about Europe because for a long time people didn't really understand that disease spread, which is why. I know. Like, just wash your hands. Yeah. Wash your hands. <laughs> I know all roads lead to Outlander. I know I talk about it too much, but she's oh from the gosh. future <laughs> and she's constantly like people will get sick with something and she'll be like, you got to wash your hands. You can't touch this person. You can't blah, blah, blah. And they just look at her like she's a fucking witch. And she's just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite tidbits is how health improved just by rinsing your hands even though the water was dirty but just by rinsing your hands over and over health and and living longer improved already just by the doctors rinsing their hands in very very dirty water yes and when they then realized oh maybe we should use fresh water every time ta-da everything was so much better like people are so it just takes a while but it's, it's such a good episode because then she's trying to have somebody help her and she's like, okay, put your hands and it was like liquor to kill all the germs or whatever. And then he immediately did something stupid like put it in lick his em. mouth or something mm-hmm. to lick the liquor off. Oh yeah, they were on a ship and the, there was a spread of like smallpox or something. She's trying to like help everybody and she's just like, you can't, you gotta rewash them now. It's in your mouth. And he's like, but it's booze. <laughs> it was funny. Anyway, <laughs> good Good show. In my next story, I'm going to bring up Outlander again next week. So you're welcome. (laughs) I feel like I don't even need to watch it. (laughs) It's so good. I just really appreciate that there's actual historical things in there that, I mean, a lot of it's just wildly, you know, drama, crazy, but drama. But some of it, I'm like, that's real. And then I get excited. So while modern Native American death rituals today look really different from what they did hundreds of years ago, there are often some elements of the traditional beliefs that are included in their practices. Many of these rituals and beliefs aren't well documented and are considered sacred, so they remain shrouded in mystery to outsiders, and then Native Americans continue to honor their dead, which a lot of tribes don't have written records. It's all word of mouth, so oral histories. So... It makes sense that there wouldn't be a lot of written records because the only person that's going to write about this are going to be the white Europeans and it's going to be heavily biased <laughs> and skewed. So, which we're going to get to. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to do a deep dive into the scaffolding like you talked about, but I found it really, really, really interesting. That's cool. So like we both said, the Plains tribes built scaffolding or used trees to hold dead bodies above ground to protect it. And it was to protect it from wild animals while it decayed. Generally, the Sioux believed that it took four days after the burial for the spirit of the deceased to journey to the resting place. And they believe that death is not the end of life, but the beginning of another journey for the spirit. So they want to protect the body so that it can make this journey. And they're one of the ones that practice the tree scaffold burials. They place the body of the deceased in a tree or a platform. And these were about eight feet from the ground, typically. And they stayed there for about a year. The body was treated as if it still had life. The person was clothed in their best clothing. 
Uh, they were sewn into an animal's skin. The bundle was placed on the scaffold along with the dece- deceased possessions. And then there was also food for them. After one year, the body was buried into the ground. A fancy term for this is a aerial sepulcher proper. I don't think you'll ever need to know that term, but now you know it. So there you go. It's what you can use to brag at a cocktail party. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Interestingly, at NativeAmericanNations.com that I was looking at, that sometimes this is still practiced even today. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that was really cool. So here's some reasons why you would bury somebody in a tree. You're not really burying them. Burials in trees and scaffolds. First ones, during the winter, some of them couldn't actually bury graves. So they would put them on a scaffold because the ground was too frozen. So that makes sense. (laughs) And then the next one summed up some reasons for a scaffold. It was a Lakota. Number one, animals or persons might walk over the graves. And that's disrespectful. And they wanted to prevent that. Number two, the dead might lie in mud and water after a rain or snow. And number three, wolves might dig up the bodies and devour them. And then number four, the dead being in a scaffold or tree means that the relatives could easily talk to the deceased. Oh, that was kind of sweet here. I like that. I was about when you first said animals and persons, I almost thought you were about to say animals are people too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my puppies are people, but that's a whole nother weird story for me. (laughs) Okay, so the rest of this is going to be, like, the only written accounts on this. It's people that witnessed these in the 1800s. But a lot of it was really patronizing and shitty, so I cut that out. So I'm just going to say the stuff that's informative and just know that these people were assholes. And, you know, I'll have it all on the website and stuff for you guys to look at. But I stopped at the point where they're like, savages! Because, you know, fuck those guys. Hey, they brush their teeth. There's no way they're... Right? I am firm in my belief that white Europeans were the savages. Fight me. <laughs> just We were disgusting. Okay. Didn't take baths. Gross. All right. So the first excerpt is from The Life of Belden, and it was written in 1871. It says, and I quote, these scaffolds are seven to eight feet high, 10 feet long, four or five feet wide. Four stout posts with forked ends are set firmly in the ground and then the fork are laid across in side poles on which is made a flooring of small poles. The body is then carefully wrapped so that it is watertight and laid to rest on the poles. The reason why these Indians bury it in open air instead of under the ground is for the purpose of protecting their dead from wild animals. In new countries where wolves and bears are numerous, a dead body will be dug up and devoured though it may be put many feet in the ground like we would. I noticed many little buckets and baskets hanging from the scaffolds. These had contained food and water for the dead. I asked one of the natives if she was sure that the soul ate and drank on its journey and if the food did not remain untouched in its basket. She said, and he's quoting her, oh no, the food and water is always gone. And he says, I looked at the hundreds of ravens perched on the scaffolds and could account for what had become of the food and water. (laughs) He had to throw that in there. Like, she thinks the dead ate it, but, you know, (laughs) I know that the birds did it. He couldn't let that shit go. (laughs) Animals are spiritual and whatnot, so to her, it would make all perfect sense. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. And then he goes into, like, and there were some things about taking fingers and pieces of the loved one 
And to them, it's not gross or disrespectful, but he went on this whole thing about how they're gross and savages and blah, blah, blah. So fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Yeah. (laughs) All right. There were some accounts, and one of them says that there were extremely high scaffolds, and one was a corpse of a Sisseton Sioux, and it was an estimated 18 feet above ground. So that was kind of cool. The next few quotes are from John Young, who was an Indian agent in Montana. (laughs) And then these are some of the counts, um, tree burials. First quote, their manner of burial has always been, until recently, to enclose the body in robes or blankets and the best owned by the departed. They're closely sewn up and then fastened in branches of trees so high as beyond the reach of wolves and then left to slowly waste in the dry winds. So that's also cool. The symbolism, I guess I thought was cool that... As they decompose, they're being taken away by the wind. Yeah. I just want a wind sound right there. Like, they're taken away by the wind. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, like, Pocahontas, the colors of the wind song. You know, you see the wind blowing. Yeah, they're away, dead people. But it's corpses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, another quote from him is, when an Indian of any importance is departing, the squaws assemble in the lodge or teepee and sing a death song recounting the prowess and virtues of the dying one. And the oldest man, a hand, goes into an open air and solemnly addresses the great spirit, be seeking welcome for him into happy hunting grounds. He goes on to describe the wailing of the women, and then he talks about how weird it is. And then he also talks about the fingers. So the fingers. More shitty comments by white dudes. Uh, the next one is from dr ls turner and he was at fort peck montana and this is about the sioux he says like all labors of the domestic kind the preparation of burial is left to the women usually the old women i just like that (laughs) all labors of the domestic kind like fuck off dude (laughs) The, the work begins as soon as life is extinct The face, neck, and hands are thickly painted with vermilion, or a species of red earth found in various portions of the territory when the vermilion of traitors cannot be had. The clothes and personal trinkets of the deceased ornament the body. When blankets are available, it is then wrapped in one, all parts of the body being completely enveloped. Around this, a dressed skin of buffalo is then securely wrapped with the flesh side out and the whole securely bound with thongs of skins either raw or dressed and for ornament when available a bright red blanket envelopes all the other coverings so this guy's saying that there's more than just one thing there's like layers it renders a general scene more picturesque until dimmed by time and the elements so i guess he was slightly impressed until you know decomp starts and then he's grossed out but he says, as soon as the scaffold is ready, the body is borne by the women, followed by the female relatives to the place of final deposit, and left prone in secure wrappings upon its airy bed of death. <laughs> Colors of the wind, y'all. Colors of the wind. <laughs> I love the, the fancy words here. This ceremony is accompanied by lamentations so wild and weird that one must see and hear in order to appreciate if the deceased be brave, it is customary to be placed upon or beneath the scaffold a few buffalo heads, which time has rendered drive and inoffensive. <laughs> oh, God. And if he has been brave in war, some of the implements of battle are placed on the scaffold or securely tied to its timbers. 
and if the deceased has been a chief or a soldier related to the chief, it is not uncommon to slay his favorite pony and place it beneath the scaffold under the superstition, I suppose, that the horse will go with the man. <laughs> Poor pony. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, I wow. laugh because I liked how you said it, but <laughs> what you said is so sad. Yeah. So today, many Sioux practice both traditional and modern Christian death rituals. This process takes about two days where the family of the deceased holds wakes over both days in large areas. Wherever the wake takes place is also where the funeral takes place, since they prefer not to move the body until the actual burial. The family of the deceased feeds everyone attendance over the course of two days, and at least one family member has to stand by the body at all times. That's kind of similar to the Victorian funeral practices. There had to be somebody watching the body. And I, to make sure. I think there's another culture, too. Like, that's... It's interesting how people can never meet, and yet some of the same similarities are there. Yeah, this has been really interesting. At the funeral, the Christian ceremony is usually performed. Afterward, a medicine man performs a more traditional ceremony with prayers, songs, and drum groups. After each ceremony, friends and family take turns paying their final respects to the deceased by giving him spiritual foods called wasna or pemisian to help the spirit on its travels. Gifts for the spirit, such as knives and shawls, are also placed in the casket before burial. So that's a little bit more of the more contemporary stuff. But yeah, that's my bones. Funerals again. I'm going to be stuck on this funeral thing. It's so fucking fascinating. I know, I can't. I can't <laughs> not look it up. <laughs> I know, it's so cool. I just really, I liked it. And like I said, everything that the true, like everything that really happened, we'll never know because they didn't write it down. But it's kind of interesting to see how an observer like documented it. Yeah. So you got to take it with a grain of salt because this is just what they see. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's what happened or like what it, the re- what it represents. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And also take out the biased, mm-hmm. any opinions of it. It's one thing to, to take what they see, but another thing to take their opinions of it, like the savage part. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so sad. I do not, do not like, really like Native American history and it. It's really hard to find something that's not sad, which is really depressing. Yeah. Because a lot of the history has just been just terrible things happening to these groups and tribes and yep. breaks my heart. Yeah. And next episode, uh, my topic is funny. So please tune in to how I can whip that up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was wondering how you're going to do that. I have weird, and I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to do that. I know, and also, how do you do weird and not be offensive, too? I know. I think it'll just be something, like, weird that I didn't know that. I think that's the direction I'm going to go, because there's a lot of stuff I did not know. Yay, learning. (sighs) I like that this makes me learn stuff. I know. I feel like it's not as terrible as school was, but I also feel like I'm keeping my research chops going. <laughs> like, so someday when I get a job, I'll still be like on top of the research game. But man, I feel like a contributing something to the historical world. Even if you're not a professional, though, like myself in the historical world, still enjoying it, still liking it. I know. It's so cool. It's so fascinating. Like I said, I 
uh, I don't know when I said it, but one of my biggest, one of my biggest things that breaks my heart when people are like, history's so boring. And I'm like, it's really not. It just, if people don't talk about it with some passion and some entertaining, you know, ways of talking about it. Yeah, it's boring, but when you crack into it, it's really funny and interesting and wonderful. And, and fucked up. And fucked up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. If you would like some more content. If you're listening to this and you're like, I need more, then go to Patreon. Yeah, like all 94 <laughs> of the fun facts from that article. Because it is interesting. They were, like I said, the World War One stuff caught me off guard a lot. Yes. And there's so much more on my end, too. So we'll have everything up on our website. We put everything on there, all our sources. And that is historicalafpodcast.wordpress.com. And if you'd like even more content, stuff that you can't find anywhere else, join Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historical But yeah, we got a lot of tiers. Everything, you get more and more stuff. But we have drunk dives, bloopers, deleted scenes, all that good stuff. So lots of cool stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Every time. <laughs> it's a solid... 10 out of 10 and more awesome things is of course our social media historical af pod and that is instagram twitter and facebook and you should really join because on our facebook we have we're now starting a historical af mario <laughs> thing. i think so too <laughs> uh mr jeff jeff jefferson is now uh i think we are buddies now oh yeah and uh, and your ass is going down. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I'm so excited. Just kidding, because I kind of suck, but it's okay. And so, yeah, definitely check us out because we have all of our little fun facts. And this happened this day at what time? What's historical? That's stuff. And memes, memes, memes. I love me good memes. Yeah, there's some good historical memes out there. Yeah. And also, if you want to just, you like us and you want to help us, but you don't like commitment, you can always go to ko-fi.com slash historical AF pod. And you can just, uh, you know, donate enough to buy us a cup of coffee, help fuel this podcast that way. So you can donate however much you want, but you don't have the commitment of the monthly thing like Patreon and all of it is appreciated. I think right now our goal is to help us do artsy shit. So we can do more artsy stuff for the podcast and stuff. Because, you know, art stuff's expensive. (laughs) It is. But we have awesome merch, though, with some of our artsy stuff. Do. We we do. With all of our little fun sip and 100% that witch awesome (laughs) Uh, super great merch. Yes. I love it. What is the website? Shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And and that is shirts, mugs, and any other fun stuff. Oh, mason jars! I love the mason jar cups. Yes, I might have. A and I know this is coming out on the third, but just mark your calendars on the thirteenth. Everything's going to be twenty percent off. So keep that in mind, and we'll post all of that on our social media, which is another reason you should follow us on social media. <laughs> uh. mm-hmm. And then I guess finally, just thank you guys for listening keep yes. keep on listening and tell your friends and stuff that's cool because if y'all left us then it would just be me and kina talking to each other and that is enjoyable <laughs> but 
we need to share our fun facts and knowledge and sarcasm. Yeah. And word of mouth is really helpful, guys, and it's been great. I know the last, since, like, what, it, I'm looking at the thing right now. Since, like, the 13th of this month, we have had a huge increase. So, you're doing the Lord's work. 13th of yeah. October. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's November now. <laughs> no, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> the 13th of the future. The 13th of October, y'all. And we've we've hit over 10,000 listeners, yeah. right? 10,000 downloads. You guys are killing it. Oh, 11,400 people. Holy shit. What the fuck? (laughs) I did not know this. (laughs) Y'all and us, we deserve cake. Cake Cake for everybody. (laughs) Yes, we really appreciate it. And if you know anybody that likes this kind of thing, booze and funny and history and stuff, just, you know, share it. And uh, yeah, that'd be great. And And rate us. us. That'd be great. Please. please. (laughs) Uh, So... Gotta get that word out. That historical AF word yes, out. Yes, we really appreciate it. And we will see you guys next week with part two of Native American. Rum's kicking in. <laughs> see you later and sipping away, guys. Sipping away. Yes. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.